In this season of Advent, we are taking some time during the preaching of God's word to look at hymns of the Advent season and unpack them a little bit. So the hymns are the themes by which we are um, preaching on. Last week, Blake preached through Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, one of my favorite Advent songs. And this morning, we're going to look at the song, What Child Is This? We sing it before the sermon. We will sing it after the sermon. This morning, our text, though, comes from Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. And if you have a bulletin, you can follow along um, in that bulletin, the text uh, we will read. If you have that, hear the reading now of God's word. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. In the winter of 1865, William Chatterton Dix wrote a poem called The Manger Throne after he read Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Dix wasn't a pastor. He was an insurance salesman, making sure that boats had insurance if they sunk. And he was one of these guys in Scotland, but he also happened to be a poet. And following a crushing illness and depression that lasted for several months, he decided to make this into a poem. Or, or, or he, he, after, after crushing illness and depression, he uh, decided to write a song based off of Matthew 2, or poem, after 2, 1 through 12. Now, I don't think that Dix had any idea that this poem would be turned into a hymn that would be sung for hundreds of years. I mean, we're looking at 150 years, but alas, it did. Now, the transition from poem to hymn took place in 1871 when, when the poem was edited and put to the music of a popular folk song called Greensleeve. It was the very tune that we sang the song to just a moment ago. And this was done by a man named John Steiner. John Steiner then placed the hymn in a popular hymnal of that time called Christmas Carols Old and New. And the song that was chosen for this poem was the song we know now, What Child Is This? It is this question that the title asks that I want us to consider this morning. 
What child is this? You know, amidst the hurry and the rush of our December, as we take down the things out of the attic to put up decorations in our homes, as we rush off to parties and get presents for our kids, get presents for our families, or even rush off to visit family that are not with us, it is so easy to lose sight of the very reason we have Christmas. And yet, this question, the question the song is asking us, what child is this, is begging to be answered. Indeed, in answering this question, in considering what the question answers for us, I believe we can find peace, joy, and hope amidst the hurried season. What is the answer to the question, what child is this? Dix tells us in the chorus, he is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. My friends, this isn't just any old child. This is Christ the King. So let us this morning consider these two realities of the child that's laying in the manger. He is Christ and he is King. Two points. First, he's Christ. The title of Christ can be so easily glanced over by all of us. It's often been associated with Jesus in our vernacular. It's often my, t- my own slip of tongue. I just He's Jesus Christ. And so common is this phrase that people have wrongly assumed that Christ is the last name of Jesus. Just Google it. You can type in, is Christ Jesus' last name? And there's a whole list of people who are answering this question. But the term Christ is distinctively a title, not a last name. Of course, upon hearing the quest from the Magi as to the location of the king of the Jews, King Herod inquired of the Jewish religious leaders where the Christ was to be born. They, of course, pointed him to the Old Testament Micah, who said that the Christ would be born in Bethlehem. Now, the term Christ is an English word which is derived from the Greek word Christos. And this itself is a derivative of the Hebrew word Messiah, or simply said Messiah. You see, in Judaism, the idea of a Messiah was well established, especially the time of Jesus. The, the leaders, the Jewish leaders, looked at texts like Genesis 49.10, where Jacob's son Judah was promised that one of his sons would heir and be a ruling uh, eternal king. Or Numbers 24.17, where it said that the Messiah would arise out of Israel and vanquish enemies like Moab. So to Jews like Herod and the Jewish religious leaders, the Messiah or Christ was looked for and hoped for to bring redemption from Israel's enemies. But this redemption was a triumphant victory, won over the enemies, nationalistic and physical. But Dix, in his poem, now turned song, focuses the redemption of the Christ in a far different way. If you consider the second verse of the song, and you can see this, it starts, why lies he in such mean estate where ox and colt are feeding? Dix is asking a question again. Why is the Christ, the one whom the Magi have come, why is this Christ with ox and colt? Why is he here? Why is he laying in a stable and not in the comfort of a palace? And Dix, of course, answers this question when he says, good Christians fear, for sinners hear the silent word is pleading. 
I admit that when I first read this phrase, I am confused, I am lost. It's an old and archaic phrase, and it happens to also be poetry. So it takes a little bit of slowing down and considering what it is that Dix is trying to convey in this phrase. Dix is saying that this silent baby, lying amidst ox and colt, he's pleading with sinners, that he's communicating something as he's sitting with the ox and the colt, or laying with the ox and colt. The, uh, the baby is simply drawing sinners to himself and saying, sinners, consider what this all means. Dix gives us a picture of where Jesus the Christ is willing to go and where he's willing to go to bring redemption for his people. Dix wants us to look at how Christ has left the comforts of heaven to dwell with us in the lowest of conditions imaginable. How his Christ has come to be with you and me in the muck and the mire of life. A few weeks ago during Thanksgiving, me and my family, we went on this wild safari um, adventure in Georgia. And we had the privilege, it's really neat, it's a really cool zoo because you get to feed all the animals. And they'll, they'll, they'll come up to your car and they'll stick their tongue out and you just throw the food in there. Now, there's, there's a few animals that you can feed you know, with the tongue, and there's a few animals that you get to throw it in. The zebras, they would come up to the car, and they would put their mouth open, and they go, ah, 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 and you have to throw it in there, because if you, if you let them do it, they'll bite your tongue, bite your hand. But the most interesting of all the animals, the most interesting of all the animals were the bison. Now, bison are like ox, right? You imagine this. And the bison would come up to the car, and, and they would open their mouth and their tongue... <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen a cow be fed, but they'll open their mouth and their tongue goes like this. Like that. And you have to put the food in there. It's the ugliest thing you've ever seen in your life. But of course, you can feed the bison. And in the midst of this time, there's a, there's a lovely smell that comes in the midst of it, right? These bison, oh, they're washed all the time, right? No, they smell. So when Dix tells us, why is he lying with the ox? He's, he's trying to get us a picture. Jesus emits one of the ugliest animals you've ever seen. He's, these animals stink and smell. And it's a picture of what the Christ has come. To be with us amongst the muck and the mire of our life. You and I... You know, a lot of the times we walk around with our tongue out like that, and we don't smell like roses. And I'm speaking allegorically here, okay? Yet Christ himself has come to be with us. If we're honest about the muck and the mire of our life, we have to look and say, why the muck and the mire of our life? You know it. Yeah, yeah. Ah. You got it, Jasper. The muck and the mire of life is caused in a couple of ways, according to Scripture. Caused by Satan. Satan does not want God to be glorified. And he'll do whatever it takes for God and his image to be smeared. And so he works in evil ways, and it causes a stench that is putrid to us. But it's not just caused by Satan. It's caused by being sinned against. Many of you have been sinned against by others, have been abused and mistreated. And this is hurt. This is so hurtful. And it makes life difficult. 
But it's not just simply being sinned against or Satan. It's choosing sin ourselves. Choosing to go our own way. Yes, our choices have often left us in places that we could not have imagined. But it's largely our fault. The muck and the mire of our life is our own fault too. And yet Christ comes to us right here. Comes to be with us, tongue hanging out and stench and all, to redeem us from the muck and the mire. Now I love Dix's poem because he immediately takes us to how Christ brings the redemption. Herod and the Jewish religious leaders, remember, they wanted to bring redemption from their foes, physical enemies, and establish this kingdom on earth. But this is not how Jesus brings redemption. Dick says in the very next line, nails, spears shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. Dix is reminding us that the redemption that Christ gains for us in the muck and the mire comes through Christ, his nails, through his hands, his spear, through his side, the cross that he bears. The redemption that Christ brings comes through his life being put on the cross in our place, his sinful life for our sinful one, that we might have the forgiveness of sins and redemption from its source and ways, from Satan, from those who have harmed us, and from sin. The only way that we could ever be lifted up out of the muck and the mire is through the cross. And this is what Dix's hymn reminds us of. Here before us, with ox and colt, is the Christ. And this silent babe is pleading with all of us. You and me. Oh, that you would ask the question, what child is this that creates the theme of this season? This child, he is the Christ who has brought redemption for us from the muck and the mire of, his, of, of our life through the shedding of his blood. This is the one we stop and we praise, who we hail, hail the word may flesh. In this season, may this season be one where you in the midst of the hurry slow down and answer the question, what child is this? With he is Christ the king. When you remember this, when this season gets difficult, when your family outing doesn't go as planned, remember Christ. Remember the redemption he has brought. But Christ, according to Dix, or Jesus, see, look, I even mess it up. Jesus is not just the Christ. He tells us he's the king. So when the Magi arrived, they, I, I find this fascinating. They arrive and they start asking the question, where is the king? Where is king of the Jews? And King Herod finds out about this. Now I want you to put yourself in Herod's shoes for a moment. When you see three wise men from the east coming, talking about how they followed a star to Jerusalem, Herod hears of these men asking for the king of the Jews. Who's king of the Jews? At least according to Herod. He is. Now how do you think you would feel if you heard 
three wise men from a foreign land asking we're the king of the Jews. How would you feel if you were the king of the Jews at the time? Yo, what of it? Like, this is me. This is me. I'm the king. And of course, offended by such a threat to his own king, Herod decides, I have got to crush this king. And this leads me to a thinking about Christ as king. And it's a question that all of us have to, it's a question that all of us have to wrestle with. If Christ is king, there's really only two responses. And that's the response of Herod, or it's the response of the wise men. Now, the response of Herod was to crush him and to push him out. And I think so many of us, especially if you're grown up around the church, we, we, we kind of, we're in a middle ground. We say, oh, yeah, yeah, Christ is king. But our life does not align to that. You, you, you realize you have to wrestle right now. If Christ is king, you have to wrestle with the fact that your life better align with that. And if it doesn't, then you should crush Jesus. You realize that, because he's king. He's a threat to your authority. If your life does not align with the authority of Christ as king, crush him. Or do what Dix says and what the Magi say. We honor him and we praise him. There's simply two responses to Christ as king. You crush him or you do what the Magi did. Now, I love Dix's hymn or poem because he, he acknowledges Christ as king and he tells us there's three things if Christ is king, we must do. The first thing we do is we honor him. The Magi who'd come from the east, they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh, very valuable pieces and items of the world. Frankincense and myrrh are fragrances that were used to, to bring uh, beauty and smell Gold was a valuable resource that, that was able to be traded for, for, for riches. It also alluded to the kingly reality of him. And they bring these, these items to him in order to honor Jesus as king. And the question for all of us is, how are you honoring Jesus with that which is most valuable to you? If Jesus is king, then he owns all of our resources. We must honor him like the Magi, giving him our resources, giving him our whole lives, giving him everything. Secondly, not only are we called in this hymn to honor him, this hymn calls for us to own him. Now this is a very strange phrase if you look in this third verse of the hymn. Come peasant king to own him. <laughs> what does this mean? We have again an archaic phrase that Dix writes. And the word own doesn't necessarily mean to purchase or to buy the way it does in our vernacular. In Old English, to own something means to acknowledge or to recognize. And so what Dix is saying in this verse, he's saying, whether you are a peasant or whether you are a king, you need to acknowledge him. And so what this is doing, and you see this in the story of Jesus when he's born, you have shepherds who are like the peasants, and you have the wise men who are like kings. All are called to own and acknowledge him. 
This is what is rightly due to a king, to own him, to acknowledge him. We don't have kings in the United States. No, we don't. But we get to watch England from afar when they anoint kings and queens and princes and princesses. And when we see this, we see them lining the streets leading up to Buckingham Palace. This is the English people's version of saying, we own them, we acknowledge them, we recognize them. If Jesus is king, and he is, my friends, then we are all called to own him, to recognize him, and to acknowledge him. Thirdly, if Jesus is king, and we say he is king, not only do we honor him and own him, we enthrone him. We are called to place Jesus as king on the thrones of our hearts, where there he guides and directs our every step. If Jesus is king and you say he is king, his ways direct your ways. His laws govern your life. My friends, you might be tempted to govern yourself according to your ways, but if you hold Jesus as king, he's the king. He's the one who directs your steps. Let him direct your steps. Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. My friends, there is no middle option. Either he is a king that needs to be crushed or a king that needs to be acknowledged and a king that needs to be enthroned and a king that needs to be honored. Would you honor him? Our song calls us to that. By most estimates, the country of Japan is one of the least Christian nations in all of the world. It's estimated that less than 1% of the Japanese population are Christian. Yet since World War II, the Japanese have embraced Christmas just like most Americans. Like Americans, the Japanese put festive lights everywhere, on their trees, on their buildings, on their homes. Christmas trees are also placed in public squares and homes, or public squares and homes, and presents are put under those uh, trees and unwrapped on Christmas mornings. Now, I must say, unlike us, they embrace this tradition, which is very strange to me, of eating KFC on Christmas morning. Why, I don't know. It's a little different than us. Nevertheless, it is not uncommon in Japan to hear Christmas carols being played over the loudspeakers of the malls and shopping centers as people are going about their business in the month of December. Yet, they have no idea the songs that are being sung. And these aren't Japanese Christmas carols. These are English ones. If you were to go to a mall in Japan, you'd probably hear the song that we looked at this morning. What child is this? And unlike the Japanese... You are not ignorant of what the song means. This morning, we have considered the child that this song is about. He is Christ, the one who has brought us redemption from the muck and the mire of our life through the shedding of his blood on the cross. We have considered this child who is king, who either needs to be crushed by you or enthroned by you. No, the Japanese have no clue who he is but you should know who he is. He is Christ, and he is king. I pray that in the midst of this season, amidst the rush and the hurry of this season, when you're being pulled to and from different 
parties and places and packing and all these things, that you would stop, that you would be moved by this song, What Child Is This?, and you would take hold of what this song answers. He is Christ. He is King. And find joy and peace as a result. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we stop and we give thanks to you for coming to be with us in the muck and the mire. But you have not left us in the muck and the mire. You have redeemed us from this place. And we give thanks to you for that. You didn't do this in some uh, really strong way, the way that the Jews thought. You did this through the shedding of your blood. May we, your people, respond to such an act in grace, in humility, and in thankfulness. You are indeed are worthy of the praise that we give to you for what it is you have done. But you are also king. We hold you as king. And I ask not only for myself, but for my friends in here, that our lives would more and more reflect you as our king. Would you do this through the power of your spirit? Amen.